On this episode, we welcome David Putz of JPK Holdings. David discusses with Joe how he has taken steps to automate the note buying process, making copy and paste a thing of the past. They talk about what they both believe the future of the note and real estate business will look like and what you need to look out for before things change. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Let's just get right down to business. Joe show. This, this is the Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Show. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what assets you are in today. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, we've been, I've been in real estate since 2006 or so, uh, where I was doing rentals. In 2010, uh, I joined up with a friend of ours that uh, has a large fund, but that time was very small. Just doing due diligence, analyzing values of properties. He was buying mortgage notes in the first position space with a little bit of money. Over the next two years, I pretty much just kind of helped out valuing assets, figuring out where I want to go with things and just understanding the idea of what mortgage notes are. I then transitioned to in 2012, buy my own stuff. From 2012 to 2015, I was just tinkering around, figuring things out, attending a lot of conferences, just understanding what mortgage notes were from the investment side versus just the evaluation side. We then moved on to, in 2015, created the company, JKP Holdings, and then eventually brought into a private equity fund where we're privately funded, buying notes first and seconds, and then moving on to the fact that now bringing out automation tools and resources for all different investors, notes as well as real estate. That's a quick, brief summary of what we've done. Well, that's good. I mean, what was so appealing about getting into mortgage notes, right? I mean, everyone always wonders uh, how somebody falls into something or what is the attraction to lure you in to you know, roll with it? What was yours? So uh, 2009, uh, I had a tenant who was on the phone with the Board of Health. As I walked in, uh, she was upset that I bought her a small fridge where she wanted a real full fridge for one person in a small place. In turn, she turned to me and said, Oh my God, he, my landlord just pushed me down on the phone with Board of Health. And I, my wife was at me and I said, listen, we, this is just not fun. We've gone through tenants, deal with the issues, weren't big enough to you know, have someone manage things. And at that point, uh, I got introduced to it, the fact that I could be in real estate without being in brick and mortar real estate. And that was a huge attraction. I didn't have to be local. I didn't need to deal with these kind of situations. And that turned me over to learn about it. When I learned about it, I realized it was all—it was more legal computers in a, analyzing than the day-to-day handling of things. So that was a huge attraction for me. So were you? Uh, I, I guess you know. How did you learn? Right? I mean, how did you get started? Who was your mentor, coach, or you know, if, cool. if you weren't familiar with the business, how did you go? So uh, I was—I was very privileged. Uh, a longtime friend, a childhood friend of mine, Jack Rupi, who was in the space for a few years before that, kind of held me under his umbrella and said, "Listen." I just want you to do this. And as things happened, we kind of fixed things and he taught me along the way. He wasn't the best teacher in the world, but he is very knowledgeable as we both know. And during that process of figuring things out, I would ask questions and he respond. And I would learn by watching him and doing things with him. Then I turned to the community of note investors and said, listen, I'm stuck here or stuck there. Didn't have any formal training, but what I did find is a formal training gave you was a huge network. So notes is partially knowledge, and the other half is huge networking. So those two factors came into play. And Jack became a mentor of mine. And a lot of the note space investors became mentors that I wanted to emulate 
different aspects of their investment strategy. That's interesting. Just a week or two ago, I was speaking to one of my buddies just discussing like how we got into certain things over the years or what was the attraction. And one of the things that we had noted was a community, right? And I think that's yes. important for a lot of listeners sometimes when they're searching out a kind of business startup or what they're looking to do with their careers is sometimes it's that community that actually molds them and is basically their life, right? Yeah. And so that's very important. Huge. I mean, even like with social media, you tend to kind of pull away from all your friends and family and tend to start lining with people that you network with and lean on and respect and whatnot. Yeah, your life changes. It's awesome. And the, most of those people are my friends today that yeah. I communicate with, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It becomes a completely different world and your wife's like, who are these people? Well, yeah, it's just, you bond instantly because you have something in common, but it's also not competitive space as sometimes brick and mortar real estate could be. So yes, that was a huge attraction for me. So what is, what is it that JKP is working on today? Awesome. So we've done a lot of things. We we're still buying notes first and seconds, but we're really working on bringing out tools and resources. What we found is we want to work on our strengths. Our strengths are, my strengths is technology and understanding what that looks like. With that said, what we realized is that most investors, oddly enough, are not tech savvy. I mean, to the point where they're not even doing spreadsheets comfortably. So what we found is that when we talk spreadsheets, that's second nature to me, they get lost. So what we tried doing is finding a way to help those convert over from either due diligence to automation. And those kind of facets are really in to do with that automating things that you do over and over and over and over again. Because if you do it over and over again, two things happen. It gets redundant, mistakes are made, and those two things can really cause problems. If you're copy-pasting or realizing, you skip things. Where automation allows you to completely eliminate the possible human error. In what we found when we were copy-pasting from Zoom, from Zillow back in the day, three bedrooms could be in the wrong spot. And then we analyze things and our numbers are off and we wonder why. Bid calculators were the same thing. You plug and play and then you realize after the bid, like, where did our number come from? So what we did, we decided to automate a lot of that stuff. We gotten a step where we're automating bidding by having a huge calculator and processing hundreds of loans. And we realized that other people in the space were still copy pasting. And those errors can be hugely different. Your bid number can be hugely different based on what it should be, all because you put a zero or a decimal point or a text in the wrong spot. And then we moved on to the fact that we now have the ability to automate getting values and property data and, and for multiple sources that matter of minutes, not hours or you know tens of minutes, whatever it takes to find five different values, bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, foreclosure data. And we found that doing that allowed us to kind of condense our time and remove errors and then focus on things that we can do, such as analyzing collateral files, things that need a human touch. So we've just taken that human error out of it and reduced our time. Yeah, I remember about eight or nine years ago when we, we, we would have to go on Upwork when it wasn't quite as good eight to nine years ago. Yep. And, you know, try to find somebody in India for a hundred bucks to create a Zillow scraper, put it into a spreadsheet yep. and then get a spreadsheet, you know, from uh, CoreLogic, get a spreadsheet from the seller. And then you got 10 spreadsheets. And before you know yep. it, 
you know, you're copying and pasting, you're doing VLOOKUPs and or something gets screwed up and you don't know what the hell happened, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And most investors don't even know how to do half of what we just talked about. VLOOKUP is something that's- I didn't, I didn't before then, man. <laughs> I never used Excel. I went, I'm not going to lie. So I was one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. And then you learn and those who are not learning get frustrated and easy to get out of the space. And we found a lot of people- are using some techniques that are still available today that are bidding based on a percentage of UPB or percentage of BPO, or just taking a, a straight yield, not caring about the, the 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 coupon, the interest rate of the loan, and saying I'm going to bid this number. And you just you you look at yourself and say, well, that doesn't work across the board. Like it's a good kind of quick parameter, but you can't bid based on that. And a lot of investors were bidding. So we found a huge void that people weren't touching upon in, in the training sessions. Big calculator, getting data in a quick, reasonable, error-free way. So we created our portal to do that kind of thing. We've also in the process of creating a bid calculator that's more <laughs> user-friendly, that people can just plug information in, put their values in, their variables in, and what the return they want. And then it will shoot back a, a bid number that they is work works for them. So we found that most people struggle because they don't they, they follow the gurus out there. So it's just interesting to see most investors who are either new or experienced, not knowing spreadsheets and not knowing how to bid correctly and to automate that where you can bid on 50 loans in a matter of minutes by using an automation data capturer and a bid calculator, errors reduced, times reduced, and you can move on to evaluating assets collateral file because the seller likes your bid in a matter of minutes, not days. Well, if the conferences or the sessions taught you on how to use the bid calculator and how most of the deals might not actually work versus selling <laughs> you on how great the business is, they might not be in business anymore, <laughs> this right? This is true. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Just buy it. Just buy it. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, one of the things I've seen, whether, you know, you're note investing or just going into yeah. any industry, right? Is that when you're coming into something new where you have no previous historical data, you know, it could be a challenge to understand how to underwrite something. So how could you solve them for new people that are coming in? So one of the biggest questions when you get in is, I don't know how to do anything. And people will say, well, you have to evaluate it. And they don't even know how to evaluate it. So you know, and no one gives out their secret sauce, their calculators and all that stuff. So what we found is we had to find a way to do that, to bridge that gap. And what we started doing is creating all these tools. We have things like the resource list where we have available, you know, attorneys lists and a, a resource list of servicers and their fee structures and connecting that dot and say, listen, if you don't know what service you want to use, go look at our chart, see whose services, loans in the States you're buying. And here's a fee structure. And then make the next step and evaluate assets, get your data points, and then move forward and say, here's my, here's the data I need, and here's all the expenses that investors are already using, and you know what you have to do is plug and play. Now, is a calculator rembosis some of the stuff you and I use personally? No, but it's a huge step up from put a bid out there, bid on UPB, and you know what? I'll, I'll call you back for the next 10 grand I need for my next uh, you know, uh, mastermind. And that really gives a lot of people their sour taste or they're out of space in a matter of a, a year because the deal is not as good as it looks. Yeah, I, I definitely over the years, I hear uh, the way people bid is call their people up in the marketplace and see what does a loan of this characteristic trade for, right? Ah, it's about 30% <laughs> of UPB. I'm going to bid that. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. And it's amazing because we've heard so many people say, well, you know, why don't you bid 80% of UPB or, you know, uh, 11 yield? It's like, well, the coupons are 3% or 9%. That's a huge difference. Like, there's no way you can really factor in because that coupon rate changes dramatically. You can buy UPB of at, at 100% because the coupons are 12. And you're like, crap, I'll buy it 100%. And other ones that have two, you can't buy a thing at 100%, not even 70%, because the return's not there for you as an investor who needs a certain return. So this blanket stair step, I learned over the years by doing it wrong and moved along the way, really kind of worked with things. And I found a lot of investors struggle with that. And, and, and I don't know if it's the guru not wanting to teach it or wanting to sell assets and make people happy that they bought Hey, I bought 15 assets this month. It's like, well, are they good? Yeah. Like, well, based on what? I got a good price. <laughs> and it's like, well, what's a good price? Oh, well, I bit, you know, it's like the misconnection. So I think so much software that exists today is built from entrepreneurs within their own business that have a problem and they are looking for a solution. So they start building something and then they're like, wow. I got something I can maybe sell at enterprise value. Yes. And that's kind of what I see is happening with you. I see yeah. you, you built, started building this for yourself and found that it could be licensed out or, you know, sold out, right? Yeah. Well, it was funny. I think it was chugging 14 or 15. I was with Kimberly Banks and, you know, and I was sitting there with her assistant and I was like, oh yeah, I got to make some bid offers. And she was looking over my shoulder. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm curious how you're doing your bid calculator. And I hit a button and process 10 loans. And she says, well, wait, wait, what do you just do? And I says, I process the loans. She goes, oh, I copy paste into each of our bid calculations, each row, and then I get the number and I go to the next one. I said, what happened if you make a mistake? She goes, oh, you don't want to talk about that. And it's like, this is years ago. And it's like, she learned and I learned that this doesn't work. And it's like, other people were had no clue about doing it this way. They're literally plug and playing and hoping and praying that they don't make an error. And that's when I realized, holy cow, I'm maybe one of the few people doing it this way where others are doing copy pasting, which didn't make sense at all to me. No, I agree. And so where, where are you going with the big calculator? What kind of, what's your goals with it? We're, we're, we're hoping that what we'll do is we'll be combining our portal, a portal of JKP to encompass both the processing of due diligence of data collection. We have the ability to capture up to, we have 9,400 agents that are in our database that you can put a property address, you can get their email address, the names, contact information, and go from, when you have a tape, get all the data points, bedrooms, bathrooms, square footages, the foreclosure data, uh, the borrower's name, uh, the, the homeowner's name, their address if the tax is sent somewhere else, annual tax amount, all the data points, about 65 data points, take the information, then process it to the bid calculator. And then the bid calculator will then run any assets you choose, and in a matter of 15 minutes, be processing things. We're then going into the fact that maybe doing some education stuff and working with other investors to say, how can we move this into real estate and brick and mortar and process things? Then move into the second space where we're able to processing loans by automation of doing things like reading credit reports and doing a value scale automatically. Also finding um, seller finance notes by scraping county records and getting it based on the data we collect and have an AI use it to analyze it and make sure that we don't have a Bank of America loan and, and figure it out based on, does this entity have more than one loan or three loans in a year? If it does, we're gonna scrape it off our list. If it's similar to Bank of America, we process about 12,000 loans in one county one year 
and we had like 43 different versions of a Bank of America, B of A, B dot O dot A, and on and on. But if we get the fact that we can create a huge pivot table and say, this is what we have and scrape it against it, I can literally go to a county record, get the PDFs, use AI, scrape it down, come together and have seller finance loans in any county that's online. So it's progressing to the point of automating a lot of the processes people are doing manually or buying the list of. I'm not this great technology, but I like to pretend I am. Uh, but we have some good coders behind us that are helping us build that, those kind of tools down as we move along in the future. So we're hoping that people do enjoy it and purchase it so that we can move on. If not, we'll just keep it internally and just do it for ourselves. That was going to lead into my next thing. Who the hell's behind the scenes doing this work? Yeah, it's, def- it's partial need figuring out the brainstorming. But yeah, we have a team of coders that are really helping us along the process. And as you know, finding coders is not easy to do. Uh, we've good, been through a few. good workers in general, good yes. team members is hard. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So that's our hope. You know, we don't know how the market will accept it, um, but we're hoping that this will work into it. With notes changing dramatically, in the next six, eight, 10, 12 months, we may not see the inventory we once did. We may move to commercial, but that's still an easy task to do because the automation doesn't care if it's residential or commercial. It's still getting data points based on the property data. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, how? what are the key data points that you're seeing today that are important to new investing? So for notes in general, you're asking for what goes into the big calculation that matters? Yeah, what are some of the most sure. important data points that you guys abstract? Sure. So for, for our data capturing thing, you have your annual tax amount, right? We're trying to do that. We're working with another team to capture delinquent taxes. Um, that's not going to be as quick and easy as we hoped it was. We also, we capture things like bedrooms and batches and square footages so that when we go into our due diligence phase, we can really hard analyze what the property thing is. If the property is owner-occupied based on the where the mailing of the taxes go, we also capture foreclosure dockets. So the foreclosure docket tells us if it's in foreclosure, now we can go to the, to the county records and grab the foreclosure docket number, plug it in, and be quickly there. Using the parcel number can help us get delinquent tax data as well. But from the for what goes into the big calculation is like your next due date, which comes from the data tape, your property address, your square footage, your uh, your address will plug into Google Maps, bring into your Google Maps street view, and you have a quick view of it. Things like, you know, maturity date and uh, P&I amount. There's about eight different data points from the data tape that are required. And then what we do is we add the data from the, our portal together, and we have a complete picture of what that property looks like so we can make a successful indicative offer based on true data points that we can capture. That sounds good. That sounds good. And what, you know, who are some of the best data vendors in the space, do you say? So it depends on price, right? We can we can move to CoreLogic. We can move into these kind of things. Pricing comes in a big factor. You and I both like things that are, are quality, but also low priced, right? Um, we've talked to some big vendors. You're like, hey, listen, you're looking $7 an address. You and I are like, you know, for seven bucks, I'll find another way of doing it. So what we had to do is limit what are the, the avenues we're getting. So some of the data is coming from online uh, websites, but not the traditional scraping way, which is awesome. This is a completely different way of getting data that we're not scraping HTML. So when it breaks, we can't use it anymore. This is a different method of capturing that data, which is, I was shocked when I saw it. Then we're using other paid sites and realtor websites kind of things. So we have different login sites we use. We have a 
three or four paid sites. And then we have about, uh, sorry, two paid sites and then three different free sites we use. We don't use Zillow or whatnot, but we use other sites similar to Zillow to capture just AVM numbers, bedrooms, bathrooms, in case our other sites aren't able to capture it. Um, and we compare data. And we have a couple of sites that are main sites that look at. But the paid infra- infrastructure, we're looking at a price point. That's why the prices, you know, we're looking at charging, you know, the highest amounts, $250 in an address to capture it just because of the pricing of the paid sources. That the top line is like 70 cents an address. But you can literally bulk upload an entire data tape with addresses in a matter of minutes, get an entire set of information, download it back with the original data from your, your tape back into the same spreadsheet and move along the mar- manufacturing line of processing your bid amount through the bid calculator. Are you seeing, I, I mean, I noticed that, you know, since you want to be more in the mortgage space, yeah. the real estate space, that buying first lien, sometimes going through foreclosure, you end up in the real estate space, right? So yes. is there any aspect of this bid calculator or process in which could limit the loans you buy that have a probability of going to REO? So we try doing that. We work with a few people in the space to get data points. And we've not been able to capture data points to do aggregation of what is the percentage of, you know, we want to get things like if it's been in BK and paid three times, what's the the odds that they're going to pay out? And I've asked a few of our friends in the space and they don't have the data. It's a guesstimate, which doesn't help, right? Guesstimates are only good as Zillow estimates. So what we find is that we, we, the data points we're looking for we haven't been able to capture. But what we've done is for rehab is just do a, a guesstimate of what we think rehabs will be based on the decades of the property. So if the property is 50 years old, we can expect a much larger rehab versus something that's only three, four years old. A good friend of ours, Tim, he does a lot of REOs. You know, he's managing about 800 to 1,000 a month. And his ideas is that there is no, you know, central point on how much a rehab is going to be. But the fact that we can go by decades and say, listen, if this is this decade, which is the portal capturing that data, saying based on year built, which the portal captures, it then can estimate how much rehab could estimated be versus a house that's built five years ago that may only need 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 worth of work. So it takes a year of construction and the square feet and then puts in a, a price per yep. square foot? Yeah. We'd like to get into permits and all that stuff, but we're just not there yet. So what does what the roadmap look for it? So what we're looking to do is start, we're right now we're starting with some tester people right now to use through Google spreadsheets and just kind of just do a manually way of doing it. Eventually, we're going to load into our JKP website, uh, jkpholdings.com's website, into our portal and then have a, a process that people log in, they enter their information, and then it will automatically do things, right? We're doing it manually now. The portal's up and running, works great, but we're starting with a big calculation because we're finding new investors get it, don't get it as well as experience. Mapping is hard. Figuring out what data comms, which I'm shocked with all those gurus educating how they don't teach comm headers. I don't understand why they don't. Like, how many people ask, what's the difference between last paid date and last payment date? Like, you know, pay to date and last payment date. Like, you, they're two different things and they don't know. They think the last payment date is the pay to date and they're, and they get lost in that. So that part of education is not is a gap, I believe, where a lot of the investors are lost on that. So we're trying to find a system that new investors can figure out, but also get into a point where you can expand the variables and allow sophisticated investors 
to start also working with the calculation. We're using things like IRR, not based on yield, which we did do at one time because yield made sense until someone said, are you holding this loan for 20 years? And I said, no. And they said, then why are you bidding based on yield at all? Because if you're not, you're going to hold it for four years, bid it based on IRR and project your sales price, which we converted over yeah. and changed that and started using XIRR. And this is the process that we're doing is seeing what people, how people react to the calculation and see how can we move it. And then we're going to move into using second space and building possibly calculation to figure that out based on credit reports. So we're hoping to work with some second space knowledgeable people to see if this is something they'd be interested in doing and automating, depending on how supply goes in the next six to 12 months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a topic we'll get into in a minute where the market is going. But let's yeah. say, uh, you know, I guess one of the questions that comes to my mind is who owns the data if they use it? So if, uh, which data are you talking about? Like if someone uses the, the, the big calculator, do you, like, does the company also own a copy? Does the person, you know? Nope. Right now it's literally just a click button and it produces a, uh, it, it figures out in the spreadsheet. Uh, we have a more sophisticated version where it makes a copy of it and it saves into your Google Drive. But we're going to look to automate that and allow you to save it to your computer. Um, at that point, we're not going to, we're not going to see any of that. It'll be their copy, their automation system, and it's something we don't want to get into unless the coder says we have to for certain reasons and we'll change that. But um, my plan is not to look over your shoulder. It's just to provide you an automation tool to make it a much more efficient process. And the reason why we're doing this, a lot of people say, why are you doing this for investors? I'm sure you've seen it too. There are so many people out there bidding super high prices because they were told to bid this number or they lost out and they try upping it above someone else. And they're bidding ridiculous numbers, not doing any due diligence data, and they're buying it. And sellers are saying, well, I can sell for 90. When you're trying to buy for 80, why sell to you for 80? I'm going to keep selling for 90. And if we can you know, get more of these newer investors who are not sophisticated to bid more reasonably, I think they'd be much more community helpful. The marketplace may adjust a little bit knowing that sellers aren't able to sell at ridiculous pricing unless it's selling bulk to a, you know, institutional sales price. Do you, does JKP provide any due diligence services or the ability to utilize that spreadsheet for the client? So we can definitely assist uh, individuals who are not computer savvy or spreadsheets and go through our trade desk, kind of automate some of that process and say, listen, I'm not sure how to use it. I'll pay for the service, but can you provide assistance? We've discussed about doing that. If the demand gets there, and people are saying, listen, I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. Just here's my numbers. Do we have a consultation and set it up? I, I just want to send the spreadsheet and you do it all. We'd definitely be interested in doing that because, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to pay me to do your work and I can do it in a matter of minutes and you pay me for it, absolutely. Well, that's good. So that might be a, a, another service you could provide on top of that concierge yeah. service, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, people, at the end of the day, people don't want to do any work. They just want money. <laughs> I mean, that's, they, they, they just yeah. want to return on their money. They don't want to do any work. So yeah, all the services you can stack on top of that to solve that problem where it limits the you know person's yep. work that they got to do is going to be a win-win. Yeah. And we provide a lot of these information. We have a huge Facebook group. We have a huge Facebook page. Uh, we have a, a YouTube thing. We've done a million webinars. We keep all recordings on there. And, and a lot of the webinars we've done for three, four, five years now. We've had all kinds of guests on. And typically we talk about topics that are 
that I want to learn about, right? You know, I didn't know much about CFDs. I did a webinar about it. Didn't know much about forced place insurance. We did a huge webinar that I'm still trying to learn from. That's ridiculously crazy. But we're just trying to get people educated because we know that sometimes doing the work is where you learn versus when you're actually in class learning about something that you're completely have no clue about. You've never done a deal before. And then you start getting into the thick of things and you kind of get confused and that classroom material is out of there. So we try bringing that community together that it's not about us. It's about everyone kind of working together. It's huge networking abilities, networking with others. And I think value comes from networking and realizing that you're not the most brilliant person in the space and that you have, but you do have characteristics that can help a lot of other people because of who you are and what your strengths are. And so going into, you know, what's been happening in the marketplace, what do you see in regards to pricing and product availability? I've had a lot of discussion with a lot of people and I, you know, I have to agree with the trend. Uh, what we're, what we all hope is that this whole big thing's happening and then they're going to be trickling down effect. And we're going to have 2011, 2012, where we have 3000 assets coming from granite and we're buying like crazy, but now there's 15 granites out there. There's, a lot more bigger players who are built that their entire business on doing this. Funds are ridiculous amount of number of funds now doing it, that the trickle down is not where we expect it to be. But we also see that the value of prices of houses is still up there. So it's not the house pricing is dropping and we have a huge inventory. I just don't know if we're going to have that because people can still sell the house. There's not going to be the underwater effect that we had back then that we're seeing at all. I mean, people will still maintain the house. I mean, is it the fact that the government's holding the values up by giving people free money? Or is it the fact that people are able to maintain their mortgages? I don't know, but I just don't see the fallout there was. So I do see the fallout in the business suites and the company, in the buildings out there and the multifamilies and the restaurants and whatnot. The question is, how do you turn a restaurant into a cash flowing situation if you're still under COVID? or you're still under some kind of protocol, or you're in a bad situation, how do you turn it over where your business, you bought the note on the on the, the real estate and no one can move into it, or you can't evict or whatever the reason is. That I, I just see that we have to be more creative. We have to figure out the next avenue. I just don't see it being what we're used to for the last 10 years. I just don't see the inventory the same. Sometimes like COVID, the unexpected shows up and no one has a clue, right? <laughs> And I kind of feel like that in the current moment as we're at the end of 2020, right? I mean, we have a lot of different forecasters trying to give their opinion on where the real estate market or the economy in general will go, right? And you got some that are very smart that are saying real estate's going to kind of crash on the residential side. And that's obviously depending on the the geo, the location within the US, some will do better than other. But there's a lot of people that are still unemployed not paying their mortgage. But the craziest thing we've seen this year is the fact that the Fed stepped in and printed trillions of dollars and then put these moratoriums in all these locations to postpone any evictions and foreclosures. What I'm getting at is I don't think, and I think what will happen in the future won't show up until it's like there. And everyone will be like, well, why do we? (laughs) Yeah, we're all assuming what's going to happen, but we have no clue what it's going to look like, right? Like you said, the government's still holding up with a bunch of free money and they're holding up foreclosures. So nothing can happen and people are paying their mortgage because they got money. So what, what, what's going to happen? We don't know what to look like to predict what's going to look like. How the prices may drop when the money stops? We don't know. I just, you know, it's hard to say. And I think the economy will bounce back. 
and like we all said before, we were talking about, I think about six, eight months ago saying, you know, before COVID, it was like, I think down, you know, in Florida, like, there's, listen, what's possibly going to kill this market? What can there possibly be? This thing is rubbing like crazy, but there's always a housing bubble. There's always something going on, but what's going to be? And we, none of us could figure out what it would look like. And all of a sudden left field happened and said, oh, this is what it is. I think that's where our troubles began that, you know, we get comfortable thinking we know everything and we understand everything, but we didn't know what was going to happen in 2005 when things were going crazy and left field happened. And then we got comfortable with it saying, oh, we understand it. We learned, but then we're now relearning once again. And I think a lot of us will be incorrect because we just, it's another wave of education that we're having right now. Yeah, and it seems like anything that's come to market recently, or at least that I've heard about, has had some kind of outlier bid, meaning there's like a grouping of bids and then there's just one person that's paying way over those group of bids and taking the deal down. Yep. So it's very interesting because a lot of these loans also have you know COVID forbearance agreements on them. And some of these jurisdictions have been extending it. There's certain CDC stuff and you know certain states, maybe like Seattle or California could postpone things longer. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how these people are underwriting these assets because a lot of it from a yield or you know IRR perspective doesn't make sense. No. Is it people that are just not calculating things right? Or is it dumb money coming in? Or is it, hey, I want to win assets and I'll do whatever, I'll pay whatever I can pay to win assets and worry about it later. That's the case. Give me a call when you bail out and need to sell some assets, right? I like to say um, it's probably OPM, right? Yeah. These large institutional funds that have other people's money that they have to put to work for a few percent and grab yeah. their management fees and keep keep the boat going, right? Yes, absolutely. That's the that's the smart strategy that we expect people with money to have. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have three, four, five percent money that ridiculously low, and they can deal with six, seven yield and put management fees and just add interest to it and kill it. But that's just a different gamut for those many smaller investors. But those in the middle, are, we're looking to go that direction, to move into that direction. We're just not there yet. So what is your opinion on where the market will go and kind of how the these investors can participate or what they should be doing in the meantime? Open-minded. Be completely open-minded. Try not to get fixated on what has worked in the last 10 years. Start looking at learning about commercial, learning about you know finding seller finance notes. Because so many people got into the bank originated, there's a lot of big money into that. I think that finding a different angle and, you know, someone told me the other day they're buying boat loans and, you know, churro loans and this loans. And you know what? We we look at it going, what? Like, I'm not learning about that. But 10 years ago, we're all real estate saying, we're not going to learn about this mortgage note things. And we did. We adjusted some later than others and we should have jumped in. I think you guys did a really good job when you jumped in early and just got in deep in it. Those who take chances and get in and learn are the ones that, that are going to come out and be more successful than the others who are waiting for the opportunity to jump in. I think that those people who are learning, start looking at what is falling, not what you're hoping to fall. <laughs> That's really right? good. What comes to my mind is the trend is your friend, right? And yeah. so many of the outsized returns made in any asset is following a trend and gaining something that's gaining momentum and following that until it loses steam. And I think uh, over the last 10 years, I mean, that has ultimately what worked for a lot of the 
note buyers and real estate buyers and even yep. people in uh, tech stocks, right? I mean, yeah. those are all areas that have the multiples on people's money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bitcoin, all these other avenues are out there. And that, you know, just because you're in notes doesn't mean you have to stay in notes. Because after the end of the day, are you doing this because you love notes or the fact that you love being freedom? Right. And the money that the money provides you freedom. So you're looking for the return. You it's know, like, also, a, like some relationships, you get in loving it. Right. It's like a first date. Right. And then over, <laughs> over a long time period of years, you know, things start to change. And then you're just yeah. like, OK, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, Whoa! you mean you're not doing it anymore? You know, and that's the idea is that, you know, people are buying, you know, websites and all these kind of different avenues that because out of our comfort zone, we're just getting too comfortable because maybe we feel we're, we've done well, we've been successful, but this is always changing, you know? And I think that the newer investors coming in, you know, just listen to a lot of investors. Don't, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm following one person. And I found that to be extremely dangerous. You know, listen to investors from all different gamuts because even real estate people, people doing, you know, converting CFDs and mortgage notes, people converting rentals to, to CFDs, Converting over things and learning different aspects so you can adjust and you can take a deal in no matter how it looks and find a way to make it work. And that's what I'm trying to work on too. When someone presents a deal for me, typically the deal is not the problem, right? It's figuring out how to make that deal work for you. Or reaching out to investors that you know are good in that space and saying, hey, I got this opportunity. What can we do together to make this happen? And can you help me work this out? That's, I think, the avenue we all have to explore. No, that sounds really good. I mean, so what are you doing differently here? And then let's say 2021, right? What do you what do you see yourself doing? So what we want to do is get, have our ears open, hugely have our ears open, really kind of listen in on things. Because right now we're, we're so stuck on notes that we have to start listening. Start watching trends, not predicting trends. Start paying attention to what is falling you know, versus what is what we've done before, because what we've done before, it worked then. I think in 2021, we want to look at different, you know, trends as well as automation to get to the trends working. It could, you know, we have a gut feeling that we're being a completely different investment strategy in 2021. And we made, we don't know what that looks like because everything that's happening right now is still being band-aid together. And then once that band-aid opens up, it may be like, Puerto Rico becomes a state and that all changes, right? Hopefully not, but things will change dramatically. And I think that what we want to make sure we're doing 2021 is doing our best to be accountable to other investors and them being accountable to us and saying, listen, guys, let's work with the team and figure out trends. If we talk to somebody, listen to what they have to say about the trends. Just real estate in general, brick and mortar, as well as notes, just right now priced extremely high and, and buying high makes no sense at all. So I'm looking to get into different avenues, looking to get into seller finance situations still, looking to get into maybe even getting into some funding situations where we'll be doing some funding deals. We've also want to get into more of tools that will make sense at the time and work towards becoming also partially more tech company. I, we have some great friends that said, listen, we're more tech company now than real estate. And it says, what? They're a huge company, but they're more tech now than anything else because tech is helping you become successful and watch out for things. When red flags happen, you then you're starting adjusting. I know they told me that they found that REOs weren't, they're selling an auction and they're, they're, they're holding things too long and the returns are dropping because they're holding it. So they're selling loans and REOs for what, under what their basis is 
to get rid of it because the problems at the end of it, where they hold on for a REO for three to six months, way too long, carrying costs adds up, and they realize they lost money hoping for a bigger payout. So watching the trends and can keep track of things. That was great. Well put, well put. And I hope, you know, much success, obviously, 2021. Yeah. And I hope we see opportunities for all the, you know, distressed mortgage buyers, real estate buyers over the next yeah. two years, right? I mean, that's yeah. how most of us make, you know, have made money over the last 10 years. And so the opportunities will show up and everyone should just be patient, raising capital and preparing for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so our final question that we leave off with is, what is the biggest thing you have implemented in your life as increased your net worth? I, I've probably done it for a lot of the guests. Networking, huge thing, networking. And I would say the second part is, which is a little crazy, is listening to people that are not in your space. Discuss with them what you're doing and let people who are not in your space help you make sense of it. I've had a conversation with my wife say, what are you doing that for? That makes no sense. And that outside view is complete sense, which is crazy because you're like, well, you don't understand the space. And then you sit down and you think about it and going, holy crap, they're right because they get out of the emotion. So between listening to people that have nothing to do with my space and just bouncing a day off of them and branching out my network to work with people in a more closely knit fashion that growing my closer circle to add more people into it and have that accountability, the little mastermind mentality and really stay in touch with them. Those two avenues that I've done in the last six months has definitely increased where I'm going and, it, and also increased my experience and knowledge of what I feel is happening. Those two factors, I think are a huge factor for me right now. That's good. So utilizing the creating the best network you can and getting outside opinion from that network on what you're doing to better improve your processes. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. It's a lot. Now I'm sure all our listeners might want to get a hold of you. So what is the best way they can reach you? Absolutely. You can shoot us an email at dputs at JKP Holdings or go to our website, jkpholdings.com. Or we have our East Coast Distress Note Investing Group on Facebook and Facebook page, a million different ways, but just shoot us an email or check our website out. And um, that's how you connect with us. Well, thank you for coming on today, Dave. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, man. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show.